Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. For those of you who maybe don't know or haven't heard yet, um, our friend and our sister, Terry Wells, passed away early Thursday morning uh, to cancer. And it's not what we would have wanted. It's not the end that we had desired. We wanted to see her battle past this and be with us again, but that's not what took place. And so I want to let all of us know that the memorial service for Terry is going to be on Saturday, September 30th at 10 a.m. It's going to be at Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs in Diamond Bar. The address is up there if you want to write that down if you don't know where it's at. Or if you do Google Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs, the address will come up so that you can uh, be with us to celebrate her life on that morning. You know, it's difficult when you lose someone who's dear to you. And for those of you maybe who are not uh, connected with us, uh, don't realize our history. Terry has been a part of our community really since the very uh, beginning days. Uh, She started up and ran our children's ministry uh, for as long as she could. And when you lose someone who is so important to you and such a part of your life, um, you deal with it in different ways. Um, You deal with it oftentimes uh, by in denial of what's happened. You try and escape the emotion and, and All those things are are pretty common to do. Um, Scriptures tell us that we are not people who grieve without hope. And so we do have hope, and the hope is in the promises that Christ has given us. But we still grieve. And it's important to grieve. It's necessary to grieve. We've just lost someone who's dear to us someone who's been a part of our lives for so long, and it's important to recognize that so that we can deal with it properly. Um, Thursday morning, uh, my wife, uh, Daniel, my son, and I uh, went to the Wells' home. Uh, We got there really as she was passing, and... um, Seeing the difficulty and the hurt uh, in the family, it's just touching and difficult for us as well. Um, 
I want to find a, a message that my son sent that evening. And he wanted to know what to do because he had gotten a message uh, from Dave that it didn't look like she was going to make it till morning. And so he wanted to know, well, should I come down? Um, and uh, speaking to Nathaniel or, or Nate, uh, he sent him a text saying, hey, can I come down? And he said, yeah, please, you and your family, come on down. And so my son sent this text ahead of time that they read to Terry and Sue, her sister, said that as they read it, she was responsive to it. I want to read it to you because maybe it'll give you a little uh, insight into how much she has meant to us through the years. She was my son's teacher, and he said, Teacher Terry, I am forever grateful for you. You are a have had a direct impact on who I am today because of the diligence you showed to follow the Lord's calling on your life to teach us the gospel growing up. My spiritual foundation has been architected by you, showing up every week to read us the Bible and help us understand God's love for us in a fun way. And honestly, you were always the cool mom creating the best sleepovers, birthday parties, lunches, and breakfasts. I mean, Nathan's pirate birthday party is such a memorable day for me. The tree, house, treasure hunt, and costumes. You, will, you always made me feel so loved and cared for. True compassion and attention whenever I had something to say. You would listen with such grace and care. You helped shape the way I want to lead in ministry today to help others feel welcomed and loved just as our Savior loves us. Terry, thank you, thank you for fighting for the hearts of the children in our church. Thank you for impacting my life in the ways that I probably am not even aware of. Your life models what it looks like to be resilient, to be so strong and fight for so long. I pray that the warm embraces you have filled my life with you will feel when you see our Savior face to face. I love you and will dearly miss you. And as he shared these things, they mean so much because Terry has meant so much to us. She's been a part of our lives since our kids were small, uh, since we were much younger. And we will miss that. We are thankful for her influence on all of our children's life. We are thankful for her influence on our kids' lives here. And it's amazing as I'm reading my son's text to her, she did this to countless children. Many of your children have this understanding of who Terry is, that she is so welcoming and endearing that she probably watched your children like she watched ours that they probably went over to her house or she was involved in your life in some way, um, it, it wouldn't surprise me because that's who she was and that's how she cared. And so we want to remember her. We want to celebrate her life. We want to mourn her loss. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And to think of mourning as a blessing is not something that we do. It's contrary to our way of thinking. 
But you see, to mourn, you have to have lost something that is dear to you. And to have had something that is dear to you is really a blessing. And yes, you should mourn what you have lost that was dear to you because it was a blessing. And it's important to recognize that and not to take it lightly, not to make little of it, not to just focus on, okay, everything's good for Terry, everything's going to be good, she's with the Lord. Now, yes, we believe that, that is the hope we hold on to, but we still do grieve and that's okay and we can grieve together and we can mourn together and we can thank God that we have someone who is so dear to us that enabled us to mourn so deeply. And that's what we do here as a community and that's what we'll be doing on that Saturday September 30th. And so if you can be there to be a support to the family with your presence, I encourage all of you who can to be there. So with that, we're going to move forward. And really, in I think a fitting way, even as Terry was such an advocate for the children, when Genesis began and she and Dave were a part of our leadership, she would always speak up and say, what about the kids? What are we going to do for the kids? And it was an important voice to have. As we've been doing this series on the others, remember the others are those who have been, for whatever reason, marginalized, those who are outside of our comfort circle, those who we think of in maybe a way that is less than. And if we are going to take this following Jesus seriously, and we need to, because it is going to mean nothing if it does not affect the foundation of our very lives. And so if we're going to take this seriously, then we need to walk in his dust. We need to follow him close enough to see how he interacted with those who were put to the side, those who were marginalized those who were considered the others. It's not enough to have a right belief system. What we need to do is have lives that are in line with who he is. And so turn with me to John chapter 7, starting at verse 53. It's the last verse of John 7, and then we're going to go in to John chapter 8. Again, the, the... Chapters kind of sometimes divide things in a way that are awkward, and this is one of the cases. In John seven fifty three, I'm going to start reading and you can catch up. It says, They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, the law Moses tells us, commands us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elder ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up 
and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. We know that this woman was part of a trap that they set for Jesus. But how did they know that she could be trapped? The truth is, this woman was married to someone, and for whatever reason, she made a choice to sleep with another man. Now, it was early in the morning, so she probably stayed the night. Where was her husband? Was he out of town? Was he traveling? Did this happen whenever he was out of town and traveling, and that's how they knew that they could entrap her and find her there? And where was the man in all of this? Why is he strangely missing? Why is he not a part of this story? Was he in on this? Did he set her up? The truth is that this woman, she was one of the others. She was used as oftentimes women have been used to be a part of what someone else wanted in spite of her situation. When Jesus spoke against divorce, when they asked, can you give divorce for any cause? And he said that that wasn't the case. It was with this in mind that people were using women for their own sake, their own cause, and own purposes. Was she in that category? Was her husband neglecting or abusing her, and she was finding comfort in this other relationship? We don't know. But what we need to do is keep this human. What we need to do is remember that this is a real person in a real situation that happened at a real time and has happened many, many times since in similar situations. And so, you know, trying to to keep this real, trying to to keep it human, trying to, to put a little bit more emotion into what we have here and understanding here, I can imagine that they barged into the home where she was, staying for that evening while her husband was off out of town. Staying there, and it had always been just for a brief time that she had gone, but it was a welcome escape for her from the life she had been living when suddenly and forcefully men she doesn't know come in, take her out of the bed, take her out of the room, take her out of the house. She may or may not have had time to grab a blanket or a piece of clothing to put on as they took her out of the house and down the streets, and through the town, in front of all the people that she had knew, known, and saw on a daily basis. Her legs, her bare feet being dragged against the rock, being scraped, now bloodied, as they take her. And however short or long this shameful parade was, it ends by interrupting the words of this beloved rabbi, 
who was speaking to a group of people early in the morning, probably before they had to go off to work. And it ends with the words of these Pharisees. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And there she is thrown out like a ball to be kicked in a game between two players. Staring at the ground, she thinks to herself, is this how my life will end? But Jesus doesn't play their game. He doesn't kick her. And she's standing alone like an accident on a freeway, something that everyone has to slow down to look at, something you can never unsee. She is covered in shame more than in clothes. She waits for the rabbi's response and she waits she waits and after some time she forces her eyes but only her eyes to look up where is he what is he doing and he's kneeling he's on the ground writing minutes go by an eternity goes by and she begins to shake not from the cold but the fear that the moment has finally caught up with her The long, awkward silence is broken as he finally stands and speaks as they pressure him. Let the one who is without sin throw the first stone. His words catch her and everyone off guard. His voice is clear. His voice is strong. His voice, it's compassionate. Fists and teeth clenched, waiting for the stones to strike her. And again, time passes. And again, She looks, and again, he stoops down and is writing. For the first time, she raises her head just slightly. It's a curious wonder that pushes past her shame. What is he doing? How can he say nothing and still command so much attention, attention that she was happy to have on him rather than on her? She is gripped by this strange event to notice that some of the men have begun to leave. And it is in the dropping of stones that awakens her again to the reality of where she is. She hears the pop, 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 dozens of stones hitting the ground, not hitting her. And again, she is staring not at the ground, but just in the air in front of her, in unbelief at what's happening. And she is startled by a touch on her chin that gently raises her head for the first time. It's him, it's Jesus. She's so startled by his touch, she almost doesn't hear his words, but they cut through her confusion like light through darkness. Where are your accusers, he says. Has no one condemned you? Quick darts of her eyes reveal that all who were part of this scheme have left. Their eyes meet for the very first time. And his eyes are gentle. No one, Lord. The words shake out of her mouth. His words again capture her heart and those around her, then neither do I condemn you, he says. Go now, leave your life of sin. His hand slowly falls from her chin, 
and the brightness of his dark brown eyes leave her gaze, it's over. I can go. I'm free to leave. I'm free to live. I'm free to live differently. She slowly walks away, still in shock, and she realizes that she has been forgiven. And this love is strong enough to cover even her shame. She's loved, truly loved, not for what she can give, but simply for who she is. As she heads home. The story is so dramatic. There's so much emotion. There's so much tension in it. The tension between Jesus and the religious leaders, the tension between holiness and justice, the tension between law and mercy, this tension that is gripping the scene that is here. And they've created this trap for Jesus. The idea of a Messiah was very appealing to the multitude of people. And so, so many were going to Jesus that the Pharisees were threatened. Their position was threatened. What they wanted to hold on to was threatened. And so what they had to do was deal with this Jesus. They really didn't care about the law. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, the law that they are quoting, it says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And one of these are conveniently missing from this story, and it is the man. See, they didn't care about upholding the law. What they wanted to do was trap Jesus. And patriarchal cultures are known for doing things like this. Supporting the rights of those who are in power so that they can maintain their power. It's more about what they want to hold on to than it is about actually justice. You see, what they really want is to kill Jesus, to be rid of him. That is their intention. Jesus knows this, and what they're doing is using the law, using people to get what they want. And so this moment is just pregnant with this tension here because how Jesus responds will determine what they can do and how they will move forward. In Psalm 50, verse 16, it says, But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You see, they didn't care about the law and God doesn't care about their intentions. He cares about their abuse. He wants to expose this abuse. And Jesus sees this. And so from the beginning, God says, those people who are just trying to use the law, he doesn't even want it on their lips. See, they're accusing her of adultery while they're plotting murder. And God says, who are you to accuse her in this situation? In an effort oftentimes to create a position for ourselves, what we need to do is create others. We need to create a class, a a position where we can put 
other people so that we can feel better, so that we can set ourselves apart from them, so we can set ourselves above them. And, and we do this time and time again. Our children do it. We learn to do it, right? If you only have one kid, it's just not fair. You don't know what takes place when you have more than one kid. As soon as you have two kids, you don't know for sure who did anything. Who broke the glass? I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Well, someone did it. He did it. She did it. You you get the fingers pointing out. And so now all of a sudden there's this thing. And have you ever done this? Maybe you guys don't do this, but I've known people to do this in my family. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Right? The minute, why did you put the clothes in the laundry with the bleach? Now they're ruined. Why did you put them in the basket? Right? It's like, let me take the blame off me and put it on you. It's your fault for putting the laundry in the basket because I was going to put this in that washing machine. How did I know they didn't go with the bleach? Well, you should have known. You just, just wanted to put the blame on them so you don't have to take the responsibility. And blame takes the attention off me. It puts it on the other. And so we create others so that we don't have to bear the blame that really is falling on us. Those who are outside our acceptance norm those we create systems right we create places for our prejudice to go our opinion our self-righteousness we create these things because it makes us feel better and so the pharisees can can bring this woman who's caught in adultery and they can quote the law while they're plotting to break the law that they're quoting and this isn't to point fingers at them it's to shine a light on us because do we do those things we do it to be right to feel better to escape our responsibility and this should frighten us when we begin to think that we are religiously right that we have everything doctrinally figured out, that those people over there, well, you can put labels on them, okay? They're liberal or they're fanatical or, or, you know, we become the standard by which we measure the other. We think right, they think wrong. We understand things they don't. We are compassionate, they're not. And we reduce people to objects to use them for our advantage and our purposes. She meant nothing to them. She was just bait for a trap. When we devalue people for whatever reason and just categorize them, we're doing the same thing. And boy, we love categories because we can fit everything we want in a category. And it's amazing how we can simplify things that are really not that simple. The trap that they were setting before Jesus was this. If he says, yes, the law is right, she needs to be put to death, 
he's in violation of Roman law. He doesn't have, they don't have the right to put people to death. That belongs to Rome. They could accuse him so that they can have him killed. But if he doesn't stand with her, then he violates the law and he can't be a rabbi because he's in violation of the law. So there's this tension, but there's a bigger tension, I think, that's taking place, a bigger dilemma. How can he be just and holy and at the same time be gracious and merciful? How can he stand up and say, you know, that God is holy and that this woman who is committing adultery should not be judged? And how can he say God is merciful but allow this kind of sin to take place? And in the tension of this moment, I mean, here's a woman's life at stake, being drugged, being placed here. All these people's eyes are on Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I'm on the spotlight, I get nervous, right? My palms start sweating, my armpits start sweating. I mean, all of me starts sweating. And I start thinking, oh no, what? I got to say something. I don't want to say something wrong. And sometimes I just start talking. I better say something. So I'll just start talking because I'm nervous and so I, more words come out when I'm nervous. Like right now. But Jesus doesn't say anything. He just stoops down and starts doodling on the ground. And we don't know what he wrote. Everyone speculates. There's all kinds of speculations. Was he writing their sins down? Was he writing different things going on? But he's just sitting there doodling. And they're like, uh, hey, buddy, we're talking to you. What's going on here? You know, a uh, little interaction. He doesn't allow the tension of the moment to force his hand. And there's a passage that I think is great in Exodus chapter 30. Verse 18, since this is so law strong, this whole passage that they're bringing out to him. And he gave to Moses when he finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets stone written with the finger of God. I love that little phrase written with the finger of God. It's so descriptive as Jesus is writing on the ground. I mean, you think of some of the other things that are in the commandments that they're quoting that's being broken. What about thou shall not commit murder that they were planning? What about thou shall not bear false witness which they are doing by entrapping him using a situation for a different purpose? See, they're breaking the very things that they're trying to use. And as Jesus doesn't fall for their trap, doesn't play their game, and just starts writing, the question comes up, is he going to be holy? Is he going to be gracious? And what Jesus says is, yes. I'm going to be both. And we wonder, how? How can you be gracious? And how can you be holy and just? How can you not deal with with the wrong that's done and deal and give grace to the wrong that's being done. How does that work? And Jesus is the answer to how that works himself. 
In John chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, it says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the, at the Father's side, he has made him known. The only one who's seen him knows him fully is Jesus. But you see, through the law was given by Moses, grace and truth was given through Jesus And what we're being told here is that Jesus is giving us insight into the intention of God through the law. And that was grace and truth. We want to know what does God think of a person in this situation? And we look at Jesus and we see what God thinks. We get the understanding. You see, he takes the light of his holiness And he turns it on our hearts so that we can see that we are the ones in need. We can acknowledge it and receive the forgiveness because it comes through the one who is holy. The only one who was there able to cast stones didn't. That's what God looks like. That's what compassion looks like. It shows up in the person of Jesus. And we see it so symbolic in the cross itself that takes the blame, takes our brokenness and says, I will cover your debt. I will take the blame so that you and receive the grace. And, and so now the cross is forever this symbol to us that God is just, that God is good, and God is merciful, that sacrifice is no longer required because sacrifice is covered by God himself. And if we are going to see ourselves in this story We need to see ourselves as this woman. We need to see ourselves as the one who is guilty. The one who is being judged. And the one who's being shown mercy. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is taking who Jesus is and he's saying, do you understand that in Jesus you are not condemned? But you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I've had, you know, a part in my heart and how I have just done these things to people, how I have used people, how I have hurt people. You don't know how I have betrayed, you know, whatever these things are. You don't understand that Jesus, you're not condemned. You, you need to understand that in Christ, because of what Jesus, through Christ, there is no condemnation. That God doesn't look at you and say, man, it's too bad. Judgment's going to fall on you. That God doesn't look at you that way because of Jesus. That like the woman, we can say, I am not condemned. That we've been 
through Christ forgiven. See, to be forgiven, you have to have done something wrong. And I know I've done things wrong. I'd rather talk about what you've done wrong. But the truth is, I'm the other. And instead of trying to make categories or make people who fit in this other category, oh, there's the adulterers and there's these people and oh, there's the racists and there's the, the Democrats and there's the Republicans and there's the Libertarians, a few of them. You know, and there's, instead of making the categories that help us to feel better about ourselves, you see, I have to stand up and say, I'm the other. I'm the one who's in that category. I'm the one who is separated And I am the one who Jesus looks at and says, I don't condemn you. And this is the good news that God's grace has been extended to me. Has been extended to you. That I don't have the right to throw stones And I don't have to worry about stones being thrown at me. And this bridges humanity because we are all in this same boat, in this same need. And the power of Jesus' words strike us because here someone who is guilty God doesn't condemn them. Understand that those words are meant for you so that you can go and leave that life of sin, that you aren't defined by that sin. You aren't defined by what the world thinks of you. You are now defined by what God thinks of you. And he doesn't condemn you. So many times what we need is to recognize that we are forgiven and we are not condemned. I don't know how many times people come to me and they start confessing all the things that they've done wrong. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I... I I can do nothing about what you've done wrong, but I know someone who has done something. I I can't take your burden from you, but I know someone who has. And what you need to understand, if you're living in this condemnation of all the things and all your failures and all the areas where you do not stack up, all the shame that you have carried and have been drugging out, I want you to feel Jesus lift your chin up and say, I don't condemn you. so that you can live the life that God has intended you to live as his child, free from the condemnation that is put on you by this world. I think we need to embrace this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it sets us free. 
I heard a talk of a gentleman who was talking about reforming the way we do businesses and the way uh, businesses are run and thinking of them more as a family. And he talked about this business that was being run and instead of laying people off, because you can't lay family off, right? I've tried. You can't, right? They, 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 they live there. You know, you're, you're fired. Okay, I'm going to bed now. All right. Um, I mean, you're family and so you're kind of stuck with them, Right? What would happen if businesses had the intention of a family? Well, we're not going to lay you off. What we're going to do is help the company absorb these things. And so one company actually did this. And they said, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to kind of deal with everyone from the CEO to the lowest person and we're going to embrace them as a family. And when the business was doing poorly because of the economy, instead of having to lay off all these people, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Everyone in the company is going to take four weeks off, not paid. You can take it off whenever you want, but we're going to do this throughout the entire company. And he said, because I would rather we all suffer a little than someone suffer a lot. And what started to happen is some of the people who are in positions that did make more, they actually gave up some of their time to people who needed it. People on their own started to step in because they started caring for the people that were there. And so they started helping others out because they knew it was going to be difficult for them financially. So they absorbed some of the cost so that they could all make it through without anyone losing the job and being able to keep the company going. And now people cared about the people who were there working. People actually were invested in these people. And I think of what the church is supposed to be. And I think of the example that we have of Jesus who says, I will take the cost for you so that you do not have to bear this burden. And we are here to bear one another's burden, that this is an example for us, that this not being condemned gives us the freedom to not condemn others as well, that we don't put people in other categories, that we embrace them and we help them to get past the struggles that they were in because we have been in our own struggles. This is what family looks like. This is what Jesus looks like. This is what the church is supposed to look like. And this is the invitation that is before us. If I am not condemned, then I too can forgive. If God has forgiven me, I can share that forgiveness with the others, whoever they are, whatever category you put them in. God's grace and mercy extends that far. But it extends that far through you and through me. That's where it shows up. So let us learn from Jesus how God thinks of the others those who are guilty, those who, everyone says, need to be put to death, stoned to death. They have violated what God's law says. They are 
contrary to what God's intention is. And God doesn't condemn them, but instead restores them. What would happen if we had that mentality? How could we change our community, our world? That's the challenge that's before us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be aware, God, of who we are. That your words would speak to our hearts. One without sin, let them cast the first stone. And Lord, as I am older, I realize, man, I've got no place to be throwing rocks at people. I've got so much in my life that I keep becoming more and more aware of. Lord, I am the woman standing before you. I have nothing to say. I'm guilty. I'm covered in my shame, and yet you clothe me with your forgiveness. You restore to me your intention. For me, God, I pray that we would all embrace that, recognize Jesus, that that's what you offer to everybody here. And that that's the only thing we have to offer to everyone else. Lord, may our hearts understand this. May our lives live this. Father, may your grace flow from us to those around us. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. There is something that we can do to help with Dave and the family right now by providing meals for them uh, for a period of time, at least through the memorial service while Dave has family there with him. If you would like to be a part of that, there is a sign-up list on the back where we get your email address, and then we will send to you a link where you can go online and see what days need to be filled to sign up. So we need that email address so that we can send you the link. They've said that they don't need meals every day, but every other day. And there's been as many as 15, 15 to more people at the house So we're going to split it up so that there are a few people providing meals each day instead of one person providing a meal for 15 or 20 people. But if you are interested in helping out, sign up at the table, put your email address down, and then they will get the information to you as necessary. Okay, this is our... This is giving us a moment where we can step in and help in, again, a little ways. You guys have done incredible things to try and support and be there for this family and we're going to continue doing that as long as we can may the lord bless you may you hear his voice in your times of trouble that he does not condemn you that you are free to move forward with your life make the choice to live for him and not continue in a life that is going to deter you from god's intention for your lives God bless you guys. Have a tremendous week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. 
we invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.